the most common question I get is when can I go home? And I said, well, your baby's in the driver's seat. So they're going to tell us and we can give you an idea. We can say, okay, maybe it's going to be three days. Maybe it's going to be a week. But guess what? If they're not eating and they, they're too tired and they need more time or they're still on respiratory support and they need a little more time or something pops up, you just never know. And the baby's in the driver's seat and that's okay. And I think to allow that process, I think it's almost like the idea of letting go a little bit, you know, control the things you can, of course, and try and be as diligent as you can in, in every way, but then also allow the opportunity for it to not be a perfect process and that's okay too and don't compare yourself to you know Barbara or Debbie or whoever down the street it's your own process with your own baby and your own journey and it's beautiful in its own way and I think that that's another thing for any moms who are currently in the NICU you know you are definitely not alone giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life sadly the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being Jewish also has me exploring Judaism's influence on the reproductive experience. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. Welcome to the 38th episode of the Happy Birthway Podcast. I hope that you missed me as much as I missed you last week. I know I've been a little bit behind on my podcasting game, and um, in part it's because this is a sole project of me. I record all these episodes on my own. I create the artwork on my own. I write the show notes on my own. I upload it to the podcasting platform on my own. And I am realizing that I have a need to outsource a little bit. So when the time comes, I will let you all know when I'm looking for somebody. And if you're a new mother or an expectant mother or a mother that's not so new, but that has children with so many demands, think about outsourcing if that will make your life a little bit more manageable. You're not a bad mother for doing that. You're not spoiled. You're not selfish because you want to enjoy these mothering moments. You want to enjoy these fleeting days and weeks and months and years. And if you're constantly overwhelmed trying to get everything off of your to-do list, then you may miss out. So instead of running yourself ragged, see if you can outsource a little bit, see if you can cut some things that may not be 100% necessary for you to be doing um, in order to free yourself up to enjoy the other little sweet moments with your children with your babies or just be able to live a sane life if you're pregnant and really feeling unwell. This week, I have a really exciting, amazing guest on my podcast. Her name is Tori Meskin, and I found her, of course, as I found many of my guests on Instagram. She is a NICU nurse that I have so much respect for. She's so knowledgeable. She does such a fantastic job educating new parents, and she also is like a nurse mentor and does a lot of work with support for new nurses, for nursing students, for new NICU nurses. She's just all around 
a great human being that I've learned from so much. She's got a great social media presence. So if you are on Instagram, look her up. I'm going to put her info in the show notes and she will let us know how to reach her as well. Once again, I need to always thank all of you for the reviews and the ratings that you put out there. I've gotten some beautiful reviews that really touched my heart recently. So thank you for that. And I do see the ratings are going up on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. And it really, really, really means the world to me. If you review or have reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcasts, then please send me a screenshot. Email it to me at Hani at YolaDidAcademy.com. And I will give you either three free months of membership, 90 free days of membership to Yolada community or 20% off of my after the birth course. And stay tuned. Look out for another new course coming your way along with a guide. And that's why I kind of been a little bit behind on my podcast releases, but I have some really phenomenal ones coming out soon. For those of you who are celebrating Purim, it is happening in just two days. I wish you a Freilchen Parim, a happy Parim, and I hope that you enjoy what could be a very hectic day. And I hope that you stay sane, because sometimes it can be an insane day. And so without further ado, I present to you Tori Meskin. I am so honored to be interviewing Tori. I found her on Instagram. She's got an enormous following. She is a NICU nurse and does like an incredible job, A, talking about NICU stuff and B, really providing information and mentorship to nurses, future nurses. Um, and she's got an amazing podcast, The Selfie Podcast. I highly Aww. recommend. And like Tori, I love, I just love how you synthesize the fun girl stuff and like the basic girl and, you know, vanity stuff. <laughs> we were just talking off the camera about that. And first of all, thank you for the introduction. That was so sweet of you. Um, likewise, I'm absolutely obsessed with everything that you're doing. I feel like everyone here in the social media space, it's just been so fun to meet everyone and get to know each other and share information and have conversations like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, social media is a lovely, amazing thing. Yes. So, Tori, can you just give us a little bit more of a formal introduction? Yeah. Tell us about yourself, all the stuff that you do. Yeah, all the goodies. Um, okay, going back, I graduated from University of Arizona, bear down for any of my Wildcats out there. Um, I graduated in like 2011, no, 2012 with my nursing degree. And then I uh, obtained my first position in a children's hospital in Southern California in a level four NICU. Um, so it's fu- kind of funny because one of the questions I'll always get is like, did you know you wanted to be a NICU nurse? And I I knew that I did not want to do adults. <laughs> that was like my... You didn't want to do geriatrics. I, exactly. I was like, the adults are not my thing. Um, I did not want to do geriatrics. I didn't want to do I, adult ICU. Like that was not my thing. But um, PEDS and specifically the neonates definitely interested me. And I actually applied to my residency program um out of strategy because they were hiring the most amount of of new grads and so I applied and here I am fast forward nine years later and I've been a NICU nurse bedside for nine years I'm in grad school currently I'm I have a podcast a blog and Instagram so it's been a wild ride and you're in grad school I didn't know that part wow yeah wow so that's that's in 
that's really intense. And <sighs> a level four NICU, firstly, I want to explain to our listeners what that is, but that's also amazing that you got into the NICU as a grad nurse, which I actually believe in because I got right into labor and delivery because I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And like you said, doing geriatrics wasn't exactly going to contribute much yeah, to my... Yeah, wasn't for us. Wasn't yeah. for us. Right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I I would love for you to explain to our listeners what the difference is between something like a level four NICU versus not. And also, just out of curiosity, what kind of grad school, what kind of graduate degree are you pursuing? Yeah, um, great questions. Okay, so the first one being uh, levels of NICU. This is something I always really love to educate um, future moms and moms on who are going to go through the birth process because not everyone is aware of this. So there's four levels. There's level one, two, three, four. The level one being the lowest level, being your um, nursery, if you will, all the way up to level four, which are your children's hospitals, your university centers, your consult centers, where you're providing life-saving surgeries. We have the smallest, tiniest patients, the youngest ones up to about 23, 22, 22, 23 weeks. Um, Life-saving procedures such as ECMO, you know, doing surgery, cardiac surgery, um, neurosurgery, GI surgery. So the it's pretty extensive in terms of how different NICUs can be. I would say most hospitals offer a level two or a level three NICU. Um, the level four NICUs tend to be, you know, a little bit more in the metropolitan areas or there will be one big hospital in a rural, rural area where, you know, they'd have possibly a level four there. Um, but yes, that's a great, great aspect to explain to moms because sometimes what will happen is we will have patients who will, you know, be transferred to us from areas, from rural areas and, it does cause for a really interesting dynamic for moms and babies. Um, and then in terms of grad school, so I'm actually getting my um, my MSN in leadership, nurse leadership right now, just because I'm realizing my passion for being a leader in the nurse space. Um, specifically, I don't know if I'm going to be using it so much at the, at the bedside, more for in terms of maybe sitting on a board or contributing to research or... Um, you know, doing things like publicizing a book, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in maybe writing a book one day, just things that down the line that I think would really open the opportunity in, in the nurse leadership world. And there's a lot happening for us here in the social media and media space. And I think it's really important for us to have that presence. So yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, yes, you are already a leader, <laughs> a nurse oh, leader, you, um, you know, you. through social media and all of that. Uh, you know, you're an influencer, too. Like, you have good style. Um, but, such a cringy word, isn't it? I'm I, like, Ugh. It, it is. It is. I, 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 I don't know what, I, you know, nurse influencer. I don't know. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Listen, you like I said, you synthesize like the the style vanity aspect of it, too. I love it Thank because you. you're both intelligent and you got a great Thank lifestyle. You. I appreciate that. Yeah, and so I going back to the levels of NICU and level two and three being kind of like you know depending on gestational age, like you know twenty eight weeks or a little bit more. Um, I think that it's really important to emphasize that a level, whatever level a NICU is, is that's like the endpoint of labor and delivery. So I'm a labor and delivery nurse, and I've worked in I, I worked at Yale, which is a level four NICU, and then I worked in smaller community hospitals, which are kind of like level three ish units. And um, 
if, if there was a mom that developed any complications during her pregnancy or if she, you know, has an ultrasound that detects possible um, abnormalities in her fetus, then she may be in, she may be recommended to actually transfer out of the original hospital that she was planning on giving birth at to a level four NICU. So it, it's kind of like it's inter it's interrelated where Mm -hmm. the level of NICU is going to correlate with the level of risk that that labor and delivery patients that are giving birth will be at. So if somebody is in preterm labor, if it's like really early on, they're likely going to be recommended to go to, let's say, a level four NICU. And you literally deal with the tiniest microest humans in this world <laughs> um, and as, we a do, labor, yeah. as a labor and delivery nurse oh my gosh like my uh, I applaud you because when we have Thank those you. tiny little micro babies you know full-term babies I'm fine with even like about 34 weeks but oh my gosh when those micro little babies come out I'm just so grateful when those that neonatal team shows it's up so interesting yeah it, it, well and it's so funny because much like you, you probably get this question often too, is, you know, should I go into labor and delivery or should I go into NICU? And, you know, I always tell, I always tell them, I'm like, really focus on the patient care directly because you, for example, primarily are working with moms, right? And for me, I'm primarily working with baby. So it's very interesting because it is, it's so different what we do. And we have, I have mad respect for what you do because I could never do what you do. I'm like, I'm going to need all the tips here. Hopefully in a couple of years, I'll be like, I'm going to be calling you up being like, okay, what do I do for this? What do I do for that? What positions, what all things do I need? You know? So yeah. 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 But the level of NICU is very pertinent. Um, I would say, Um, that's definitely an ideal world when we know, you know, in utero that something has happened, you know, so a baby is pre-diagnosed with a, um, cardiac anomaly or, you know, we have a mom who comes in high risk and they say, okay, she would be better to deliver somewhere else. That's ideal. But oftentimes, you know, moms will go into labor and, you know, have the baby and have, you have an undiagnosed situation or, you know, where you're going to be transferring the baby out or you have a traumatic birth where, you know, we would need to start uh, what we call body cooling um, to help the baby after after birth and then they would get transferred to a center. So there's a lot of different situations and it's so funny because I know you, you know this as well. It's such a weird world to be in as a NICU NICU nurse speaking out or, um, you know, educating and presenting what we do on social media because personally, I feel like it's very triggering what I do, right? Like, I feel like I work in the most taboo area of the world where you have a new baby who comes into the world and they're thrust into this completely foreign place not only the parents oftentimes are first-time parents they don't know you know the head from the from the bottom Mm -hmm. but they also are struggling with okay this is my here's my baby and we're in an isolate and we've got all these wires and these tubes and we're on potentially life-saving support or respiratory support and we're starting all these medications we're starting these fluids we're you know doing all these crazy things and it's it's so weird because it's that balance of you know I want to share what I do and I love what I do, but it's also very triggering and it's also something where I want to be sensitive to the moms out there and you don't want to overstress someone out, especially who's going through 
the birth process, but it's also that level of education of saying, okay, look, we're going to have a baby. And this is how I think of it, right? The way I think of it is you don't get onto an airplane without the what to do in case of emergency, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's more of like, okay, so let's say you do end up in that situation. You have a little bit of knowledge. You have a little bit of understanding of, of what we do. And, you know, you have a great team there to support you. We all love what we do in the NICU. So it is, but it is a delicate balance of trying not to be the complete like trigger warning and triggering on, you know, and and education, but also, you know, being able to share what I do and being able to kind of highlight the amazingness of what we do in the NICU. Yeah. Yeah. And I can relate to that as well because labor and delivery is intense in many ways yeah. it's happy and it's joyful um and it's also intense and stuff like you said stuff can go not as planned and absolutely it's also finding that delicate balance of like what's tmi like what's too much information yep. that's just going to alarm people um and then you also have the moms that are experiencing some pregnancy complications and sometimes they can feel isolated because they don't have the education out there because you know these childbirth education courses most of them gloss over these kinds of things they don't want to alarm yes. moms and there's no like you know online course specifically for someone who has preeclampsia um, right I mean, that's a great point. And the other thing, too, is also, you know, from my end, you know, statistically, one in nine babies is born prematurely, which is a crazy statistic. Wow. Like one that's in nine. That's more than 10%. That is insane. And and it is not something that we prepare moms for. And we don't, you know, and just so all the moms know, because we don't know a lot of why, why this is happening. Mm-hmm. Is it because we're having babies later? Is it because moms are more stressed in their job situations? Is it because, you know, we don't have access, moms don't have access to X, Y, and Z nutrition, or maybe, you know, it's just, it, we, we have no idea. Like these things are just happening. And it's interesting because there is a lot of studies going on about that. Um, and in terms of maternal care, I feel, I feel like there's a really big push from the uh, OB and also midwife nurse practitioner NICU community to really improve what's going on for maternal care. Cause I think for the last our maternal care is, you know, it's, it's tough. It's, it's a, it's our, our outcomes <laughs> are awful. Yeah, in the U S in the U S in we, the U S we, we come yes. out like, I don't know, number 27 last time. I yes. Checked. Yes. Uh, it's uh, horrible. Which is yes, absolutely. And, you know, we're not, I think, you know, we're missing the mark in certain things. And so I think the push from us and our new generation, I think, is to really start making changes and waves to make those things better. But it is something I'm like one in nine. And that's just prematurity. That doesn't include the things that I see in terms of, you know, the cardiac diagnoses, the, um, you know, undiagnosed, whatever X, Y and Z situations that happen. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something I think it's it's. And I love sharing what I do. I really do. And I love what I do. So, yeah. And I have to say, so going back to how I said, you know, the moms that have the complications, when I occasionally talk about that, I get a lot of messages thanking me for bringing those things up because they feel isolated. So I think 
you play an important role in that as well because I have so many moms off the cuff just message me about their NICU baby and how nobody talks about their NICU baby and telling me these like really intense stories of how much they struggled you know they had other kids at home and they felt like they had to go to work two weeks after they gave birth because they were saving up their time to take off after their baby came home from the NICU in the meantime they were like working they they still hadn't recovered from birth Um, and that's like my life (laughs) I'm like all of you moms all of you NICU moms come on over this is my place I'm like I love you guys yeah I feel you I actually I did a post a while back Uh, it was a reels that I posted and you know do you know the guy um in New York who he holds up the sign that says something just Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. um please stop doing xyz Mm -hmm, and he's holding mm -hmm. up the cardboard box like the cardboard Mm -hmm, sign in mm -hmm. New York or whatever and he's become infamous guy with a sign okay anyway I did a guy with the sign style thing where it said not every mom is able to skin to skin right after birth or something Mm. like that. It was something to that effect. And then it was a little like blip about NICU life and the outpour from moms of just saying like, thank you for saying that because, you know, and I could feel it from all these women who are just in tears because here we are, we're pushing, you know, skin to skin, skin to skin, skin to skin, and then also breastfeed, breastfeed, breastfeed. And so many moms, I mean, I deal with them. 100% of the moms that I see are the moms that are in these situations that aren't able to do these things with their babies right away. And they have this, you know, such a, a tearing feeling in their heart. And I just want to tell them, I'm like, it's okay. It's your baby. You know, we're taking good care of your baby. You're going to have your time. We promise we're going to make it happen. Um, but it just breaks my heart for those moms who, you know, we are, it's such a weird place to be in, you know, in terms of wanting to support those moms and I'm like I'm here for you I hear you all of you Nikki moms you know you go through a lot um I get emotional about it because I'm like you know hopefully one day when I'm a mom I won't be in that situation but very well I know I could be here I am I'm 33 and I'm waiting to have kids I haven't had kids yet and I could be that mom so yeah yeah you Nikki guys you're you're so instrumental in providing support to families and differently from labor and delivery you you make you create a bond with these families over a long mm-hmm. period of time some of these babies are in the NICU for I don't know 12 14 weeks I don't know what the longest you know you've had uh the longest I've had is up to a year we've our our, our cap is really a year and that's not to, to that's not the norm to be honest mm-hmm. but for those of us who work in children's hospitals university centers where we have babies with extremely complex uh surgeries and you know long-term um long-term diagnoses, uh, you know, CDH. We have a lot of babies with um, diaphragmatic hernia. We have babies with GI issues who require several surgeries and ostomies and whatever. So the long story short is up to a year. But the typical, I would say, is anything up from, it's a couple days all the way up to months, depending on in terms of prematurity. Sometimes we'll have babies with us for months up until close to their due date. Um, So yeah, I mean, I would I do think that we we bond with our parents, specifically the parents, and of course the babies as well, but more than I think a lot of units just by nature of of the patient care that we're giving and also, you know, the length of stay, but it's also a very sensitive time. And the irony is these 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 relationships that we have built become some of the strongest relationships. I mean, 
we're not supposed to say this, but I'm going to say it off the record here on the record. You know, a lot of us NICU nurses will go to our patients' birthdays, you know, years and years and years later and get to see them. Like my oldest patient that I had, she's now seven years old. And it's just so crazy because I'm like, I grew you from a little tiny peanut. And it's so special. And I love that. It's such a very, very, very special bond that we get to do. So It really is. I hear parents all the time so effusive about that enormous connection that they have with, I mean, you're like the caretakers of their baby. Like you literally, and you teach them everything and you see the milestones that their baby meets. Um, It's so it's so emotional it's i i you know i i think that it you really have a special bond i mean patients will tell me all the time when they had a great labor and delivery staff how how grateful they are but i think with nicu it's even more so they're just really they get to know you and you teach them everything and like sometimes you take their little baby where they're so scared they don't even know if the baby's gonna make it and then you help them grow their baby (laughs) like you're like half a uterus for them you know (laughs) yeah 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 no it's a great point absolutely I mean machines can do so much you know it's it's the bonding and you know we're teaching the other the other aspects of it on top of obviously giving the care but you know really guiding these grinding parents through this situation is so unique and special um and i would say it is emotional but i will say this you know in terms of being a NICU nurse we get that comment a lot you know of like how hard it must be or how emotional it must be and it's it's interesting because I, i i would think that most NICU nurses would agree with me on this you learn to put it away right it's like Mm -hmm. you learn to you know, in critical situations, you're going in, you're going to the DR, you're going to grab the baby from the OR, you're stabilizing, you're doing all these things, you're throwing in lines, you're doing all these, you're resuscitating, you're doing NRP, you're, you know, you kind of just like go, 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 go do, and you kind of thrive on adrenaline um, and doing all of these crazy life saving procedures that we're doing. Um, and you just do it. And it's something where then you get a moment to kind of have that moment with the parent and, you know, really kind of help guide them through what's happening. Um, I think in my personal opinion, you know, I've had a couple handful of times where I've gotten super, super emotional, but it's our job, right? It's like that balance of like, it's our job. And obviously, you know, you get emotional about it, but it's also something where, you know, we're we're working in micro deciliters and we're working in very tiny, tiny, tiny. We have so little room for error. So your attention to detail has to be so keen and so, you know, on point. Um, yeah, so precise. And you can't. Right. You, you, it's, it's really that balance of, ho- of ha- holding space and having that emotion and the compassion um, and then being able to balance it with with you yes. you can't let it take you over when you're right. thinking about all the things that you have to do and it's I, I'm sure again I'm sure it's similar to what I experienced in labor and delivery where it's like a very well choreographed dance where yeah. especially in the beginning like you said you go to the DR the delivery room or the OR the operating room and like you kind of already you know and and for our listeners that are completely not in the medical field part of part of um receiving a baby that's born is you get like a full report on everything mm-hmm. that's been going on the full history of the mom so you know a lot of things to be prepared for and a lot of the steps initially are the, kind of the same so it's a well choreographed dance it looks like chaos but in yeah. reality it's very <laughs> oh yeah 
You know, it's so funny. I just think about like, okay, for example, I'm walking into the OR. You'd be over on my right at the computer prepping mom, doing all this. And then I'd go straight to the giraffe. I know exactly. We're turning on the warmer. We're turning on, you know, it's it literally is what that's what it is. It's, it's a choreographed dance. And we know exactly what we're, where we go and what we're doing. And yeah, it's, that's, that's a good, good way to put it for sure. Yeah. It looks chaotic, but like, it looks chaotic, but, <laughs> yes, it, but yeah. we got all of our moves. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So let me ask you, can you tell our moms like what or parents, you know, um, what what are the most common NICU admissions that you see? What are common NICU admissions that are like unexpected um, and those that are expected? Obviously, something like a preemie, uh, whether, you know, someone's expecting that they may go into preterm labor and they have some time to process that or if it's just sudden. Um, but what are other, you know, we have full term. We have I mean, I can yeah. tell you the things that I see like with full term. Yeah, for babies. sure. You and I, I already know what we're going to say. Yeah. The fr- I would say the most common diagnosis, the most, you know, let's say term baby, everything's fine um typically what we'll see is maybe an hour or two after birth in nursery or with mom they're having a little rds uh grunting neonatal grunting so i would say respiratory is probably one of our most common admissions respiratory distress syndrome um typically i would say that just from the fact of like okay let's say it's a term baby um, and for for moms who are listening, the lungs are the last organ to develop. So the, the lungs are the ones that take the longest to develop. Um, they're the most sensitive. And typically when babies come out, respiratory distress is like number one. That is our, our issue that we always anticipate could be the issue. Um, so I would say, you know, the babies who go over, they have a little bit of issues with transitioning and they need a little respiratory support. So then they come over to the NICU. That's my experience. I would also say jaundice, um, jaundice related to breastfeeding or lack of breastfeeding supply. I think that's another thing in terms of for parents who are kind of preparing. Breastfeeding is a really tough thing to start and initiate and get really successful. Um, we don't have nearly enough support for for that for moms out there and the reason i am saying that is because it, there are a lot of of really wonderful consults or um private practice consults coming out and a lot more support for it however we used to live in clans right we used to live in these areas mm-hmm. where mothers would have these babies and grandma would be there auntie would be there uh your sister would be there yeah, who's like had a, a baby and they, model. yes wow. a nuclear mm-hmm. model they had so much support and god forbid something didn't happen you had all these amazing support systems well that's not the case anymore and so these moms are having a really a lot i just see this whole generation of moms that are having such a hard time with breastfeeding and getting started and um consequently what will happen is we have admission to the NICU for babies who are dehydrated um because whatever it may be uh, they were able to get a good a good suck or the latch wasn't good or maybe they have a tongue time mom wasn't aware of it and so then the baby's pinching the nipple and not getting a good latch or maybe mom's supply isn't coming in as much um you know, and they're just not familiar with, okay, you can start pumping and start getting that supply going if you needed to. You know, there's just a lot of different tricks and tips that we use, at least in the NICU. Um, so that's another admission that we'll see is is hyperbilly, hyperbillies, essentially. Um, and so we would you need to hydrate and get, you know, babies fed or we'll supplement a little bit and then help moms kind of get their supply going again. And then on onwards they go. I would say those are the most common 
that I yeah. see. It's so now sad t- that people have that. Like, in my personal practice, as soon as I see any issue, it's like, let's go straight to the pump. Let's do hand expression. Let's go to the pump. Like, let's try to yeah. nip this in the bud before it turns into something like, you know, hyperbilar, whatever, now. Yeah, we all can't say it. We call them phototherapy babies. But yeah, and for those who just want to understand quickly, the bilirubin is just stuff that's circulating in the baby. The baby's liver can't clear it out as fast. Yep. Um, and so it, it, it accumulates. They basically the get baby. dehydrated. Right, they exactly. Dehydrated. When the baby has yeah. enough, like, you know, fluid going in them, then they're peeing and pooping out the bilirubin better. So, right. And, you know, there are risk factors for that, too. So um, I, I I just I find it so sad because I was actually just right now talking about it on Instagram and people were telling me, like, I didn't know that so they're like in all my entire stay in the hospital. My baby was having issues. Nobody told me nobody gave me a pump. Like nobody taught me hand expression. Yeah, see, and it's crazy to me. It's crazy to me, too, because, well, you know, and I get it from the lactation standpoint for all the specialists out there. I understand wanting to do things as naturally as possible and whatnot, but there are, I see a way too many situations, at least for me in the NICU, where... It goes to the extreme. Yeah, I mean, you got you to throw everything at at these situations to help mom keep her supply and to support the situation. Um, you know, and in terms of getting the supplies going, it's so interesting because, you know, the other thing that we will see in terms of diagnosis and, and babies is um, infants of diabetic mothers. That's very common right now. Mm-hmm. Um, for anyone who does have gestational diabetes, it happens quite often. Mm-hmm. Don't it, uh, the issue that we see is when it's not managed well. So you know if it's not caught on early and it's not managed by mama at home in terms of whatever it is, insulin or lifestyle changes or whatever. Um, from the it's an insulin. It has to do with your hormone level reuptake or the increased level of um because you have increased blood and increased hormones and then something has to do with the insulin receptors where they don't uptake they they block the action so basically your sugars and your blood go up so it happens right this is just something that happens so the issue that we see is if moms are not managing at home and then babies of infant of diabetic mothers they come in and when babies are born then all of a sudden their their sugars will drop significantly um they'll end up with us in the NICU for management. Um, and then also another one, preeclampsia, of course. Um, we'll have a lot of babies born moderately premature. I would say, you know, typically we see like 34, 35, 36 yeah, weeks. Because usually the onset um, of preeclampsia happens after 28 weeks, like in yes, severe cases, 24. Right. And going back to the gestational diabetes, the way I like to explain it to my patients is, is that if your blood sugars are high consistently or even just in labor, then your baby is producing a lot of extra insulin to control those blood sugars. Mm-hmm. So now when your baby's born, that's what they're used to producing. So they're going to produce too much insulin. And as a result, their blood sugars can drop. Drops, really. And Because when parents hear that they have diabetes and now their kid has to get checked for blood sugars, they just automatically assume it's the same thing for an adult. They have to get checked for blood sugars right. because they're afraid that their blood they're sugars high. are going to be too high. Yeah. But actually, yeah, the concern nope. is nope. is blood sugars not being too low. And why it's so critical to make sure that your baby's blood sugars are stable is because the brain functions mm-hmm. off of glucose, off of sugar. And actually, what I do for any parent whose baby is on blood sugars because there are other reasons why a baby would need routine blood sugars checked and why they'd be at risk of low blood sugar 
I hand express manual expression ASAP. As soon as that baby's out, I do manual breast expression for the mom, which not only does it help your milk come in faster, but I squeeze as much milk colostrum as I can into that baby's mouth, even if they're not latching, even if they are latching. And I really have found in my personal practice that it, it helps keep those babies' blood sugar stable. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's actually a really, that's a great tip. And I I love that. Absolutely. I would say, yeah, in terms of brain. So in terms of NICU, one of the biggest things that we obviously want to protect the most is the brain and sugars is one. And then the other thing being oxygen, which Mm -hmm. is why respiratory support is a big, respiratory is another big admission for us over in the NICU. Um, Yeah. It's, it's definitely I don't know, you know, and I I think that our lactation support is getting significantly better, but it's so interesting because, you know, I'll often talk to moms who have taken classes prior to having baby, and I do think the base is really good, but when you're putting it into practice, it's so different, and I find that it's so hard. A lot of moms are having a lot of time struggling, so if you're someone that struggled with it or had a hard time, trust me, you are not alone. Like, I every single day at work when I go in it's like it's unless it's a mom who's had a baby like this is her third baby and she's done this a million times and her supply comes in right away and she's just you know that does happen as well but typically for first times moms it's so difficult because you think oh baby's gonna come out and they're gonna latch right away it's be perfect and they're gonna get it like no it's actually I, eating is a learned skill for babies. And I think that's another thing that um, is a big sort of misnomer or maybe people not, you know, familiar with is for babies, you know, they have to build up the endurance to eat, even using those muscles, the mouth muscles. It's a lot of work for them. And um, so it takes a lot of time to really coordinate between you know, having mom and the nipple shape and making sure the baby's getting a good latch. And so it does take time to get used to. And I think that sucks while coordination, learning how to coordinate those two things. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. a sport. <laughs> it's a sport. It's it's a workout. We tell moms literally in the NICU, we're like, basically, babies learning to eat is like running a marathon. Like that's literally what it is because they they're burning calories as they're eating, and it's a learned sport. It's a skill. So yeah. once they get it down, they get it down. But it takes a little time. Yeah, that's why sometimes bottles are important for those. Yeah, supplement because hey, they're you burning know through Fed the calories. Best. They're burning yeah. through the. You know what I I I like to say. Breast is not best, fed is not best, supported is best, really. Is best. And when you want to breastfeed and you want to exclusively breastfeed, I think that sometimes well-intentioned staff will just throw a bottle at the mom when it's not working out and just saying, you know, fed is best. But really, if, if she really desires not to give her baby formula, then first we have to go um, go through everything, go through get everything the pump out. To support her, not yeah, so that get she the pump out. Yeah, 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 exactly. for sure. And, and, and if a mom wants to exclusively formula feed right from the get-go, we have to support that too you know let go of any ridiculous shaming and um, absolutely I am a big advocate for that yeah (laughs) and and, I mean let's let's you know reveal the little secrets I mean between me and you it's it's, you know makes our workflow a lot easier (laughs) yeah Don't tell anyone. No, but meaning to say, like, uh, yes. especially when we have a baby that has, like, some kind of risk thing, like, with the blood sugars, and the mom's like, no, I want a formula feed inside. We're like, oh, Thank that, you. that's going to be nice. That's going to be nice. Yes. Although, of course, I'll do everything to support a mom that wants to breastfeed. Yeah, and- that's we don't dismiss that. But, it, you know, I mean, especially for us in the NICU, usually, typically, when they're coming to us, the situation is so in a situation, like, let's say you get a, sh- a blood sugar of, like, 13 or 20-something, 
you're like, okay, we are definitely in a situation where it's not an option to do the extremes, right? It's mm-hmm. like, you have to do something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it. I will say this too, you know, um, in terms of for moms and future parents out there um you know I am definitely someone that loves leveling with parents and saying um I love the open conversations and I think for from a provider standpoint it's so much easier when parents have the they say okay this is what I would prefer this is what I would like but if you need to do this absolutely you know and I think that's from a provider standpoint like truly collaborating it makes for a really really successful journey for both mom and baby yeah it's that family that comes after education yeah Yeah, exactly and going back to the support piece so you know they want to breastfeed go all the way do whatever you can uh, you know to uh, until it becomes unsafe if they want a formula feed go you know give them give them that bottle and don't don't you know try to convince them otherwise and then if the breastfeeding doesn't work out and if they need to supplement because they're, for example, their babies in the NICU, I mean, that's it wouldn't be safe for them to just to just breastfeed. Um, and I think that that's a lot of the loss that probably a lot of moms you deal with where um, they especially if they weren't expecting their baby to line up in the NICU that like, I mean, this is not your this is not your normal well newborn. They need right. extra support which may include do you guys do donor milk we we started doing donor oh, yes. milk in one of my hospitals yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so um in terms of uh prematurity right so our little tinies who um you know we're talking 24 25 26 up to probably about 30 weeks actually cannot get formula and some NICUs may be still doing this practice but most NICUs have converted over to using donor milk and the reason for that is that um, donor milk or uh, I'm sorry formula has been found to be a high risk for necrotizing enterocolitis which is a big issue for us in the NICU which is basically a GI Um, infection it's an infection in the intestines of a newborn yeah and then could cause a perforation Mm -hmm. and uh, we've it's it's a very it's something that we are very 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 mindful of. uh heightened and attuned to because it's something that happens very quickly and when it does typically the outcomes are not good um yeah. if a baby perfs and we didn't ca- if you're unable to catch it in time so anyway the long story short is that um our little ones will get donor milk because um it's much safer for them to consume typically we wean them off of donor milk usually by 34 weeks i would say is the latest that a baby will be getting donor milk from the hospital setting mm-hmm. uh, but we definitely do use donor milk and if you are someone that pumps and you have a huge supply please 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 donate if you can you can donate to a center um, in your local area you can look it up we um, the way that they do it is you would donate your milk and then the milk goes through a process of being tested and um, it goes through you know a a rigorous testing so that way we can use it for for our hospital situations so um, definitely if you are a mom who produces a lot that's wonderful because it it's a good way to get back if you can mm-hmm. um, yeah. your baby comes first but if you can <laughs> yeah yeah no there's yeah. lots of moms that have it just sitting in their freezer the extra stuff and um, I this just really highlights the value of breast milk where it's got the immune immunity properties you know that um and that's with with the gi system it's really um you know Mm -hmm. that's why it's so important that's why every drop and it's not an all or nothing and i would imagine by the time someone's baby's 34 weeks you know if they had their baby a few weeks 
before that, then hopefully their milk supply is kind of, um, you know, they, they have a little bit of a higher milk supply they, that they were able to develop to feed their baby breast milk right. um, of right. their own. What other messages do you think it's important for parents to know, both parents that are not anticipating a NICU stay and that end up having to have their baby in the NICU or those that are pregnant that are maybe being told your baby has yeah. some cardiac defect or something like that and there may, you know, your baby's going to need to be in the NICU. How can they prepare? And while their baby is actually in the NICU, what advice can you give them? Yeah, so my first thing would be, um, so I am really um, a big advocate for this idea is in terms of birth and preparing, you know, of course, nothing, I don't think really anything can prepare you for the NICU, to be honest, you know, it is, it's a very unique situation for every parent, for every baby. But in terms of birth, um, I think I would really like to change the coined term from birth plan to birth preferences. Mm -hmm. Um, The reality is, is that baby is going to come the way baby wants to come. And so meaning if you are in labor for, let's say, call 24, 36 hours, and you're at a point where baby's not doing well, then you may end up in an emergency C-section, especially if it's your first baby. Um, You may be at home and you go into labor early and then you, you know, you just, you just never know when Mm -hmm. baby's going to come, right? Baby's going to come the way they want to, when they do, um, or if they don't want to come and then they're having issues. So there's just so many different ways that babies come. And I think just opening up the idea to, you know, allowing your baby to sort of lead the journey. And, you know, as a parent, of course, you know, you're going to do everything you can to give the baby, you know, everything you absolutely can. But it's okay if your journey isn't the way that you thought it was going to be. And I think the issue that I see is a lot of moms who are so married to the idea of having a perfect pregnancy and a perfect um, birth situation and perfect postpartum. And the reality is, in my experience, is at least one of those things is not going to be perfect. <laughs> so just brace for it. <laughs> well, listen, parenthood you know, as a whole, parenthood, parenthood yes, is yes. just going to throw you for a yep. loop. There is and, nothing yep. predictable about becoming yep. a parent. Your child, Absolutely. you have no idea like what you're getting yourself into. You cannot imagine. And it really does require a huge dose of flexibility, like the rigidity. Yeah. And, and I have to tell you, Tori, like just going back to how our generation lives today, we have a lot of control over a lot of things in our lives yes. that we used to not have control over. So yeah. I think for many people, um, this is a really hard adjustment because there's very, this is the one time where you that, really yeah. are not in the driver's seat. Yeah. Like, and we tell that to parents too. You know, we'll get that question. The most common question I get is, when can I go home? And I said, well, your baby's in the driver's seat. So. So they're going to tell us and we can give you an idea. We can say, OK, maybe it's going to be three days. Maybe it's going to be a week. But guess what? If they're not eating and they, they're too tired and they need more time or they're still on respiratory support and they need a little more time or something pops up, you just never know. And the baby's in the driver's seat and that's OK. And I think to allow that process, I think it's almost like the idea of like letting go a little bit. I think that um, 
you know, control the things you can, of course, and try and be as diligent as you can and in every in every way, but then also allow the opportunity for it to not be a perfect process. And that's okay, too. And don't compare yourself to, you know, Barbara or Debbie or whoever down the street, like, you know, it's your own process with your own baby and your own journey. And it's beautiful in its own way. And I think that that's another thing for any moms who are currently in the NICU, you know, you are definitely not alone. Um, not to make it a selfish plug, but we do have a, a couple really great episodes on our podcast with um, some NICU moms and then also a couple NICU dads who speak to their experiences and um, they, you know, and they speak to feeling very isolated mm-hmm. and feeling very alone. And um, I know that there are also some really great Facebook groups out there. Um, so you can kind of, I would dabble in those I guess with self-awareness, knowing you're going in to sort of maybe find a little community and not so much comparison, mm-hmm. um, because I do think that could be also a little triggering where it's like, it's a little too much information for me. Or, you know, you're just, you just you go into it with some self-awareness and you say, look, I, I want to kind of go and know I'm not alone here. And, you know, it's less about comparing my journey to someone else's or to find the exact medical diagnosis on X, Y, and Z because every situation is so different, but to find more of a community. Um, yeah, and I think I feel the community in terms of NICU is very strong on Instagram. I have a really, really, I, I love my NICU people on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's such a fun community. because we're all people too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, but you're not alone. And I think, you know, ultimately it's baby's journey as well. And I think becoming a parent, it's like the first time, you know, especially for parents who do end up in the NICU, it's like, you really are not, it's like, whoa, welcome to parenthood, like, baby's in charge, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. you know, so, um, you know, it's, it's a really special place, and prepare for what you can, and be okay with what you can't. Yeah, you guys are, like, superhumans. NICU staff is, like, just incredible so compassionate and so like loving like there's something so so mushy (laughs) and yummy about like a whole group of people that are also we're also i would say strict coaches there's times where we have to be a little hard and we say okay it's coach time like if you gotta eat you gotta eat you gotta wake up and you know there's times (laughs) to like you know kind of buck up here little guy so you know we i think there's that balance right of like we know when to do the extra tlc and we know when they need a little extra push and they're being a little, you know, they're baby, they're baby selves. So, oh yeah, exactly. yeah, it's a great. You learn to speak baby really quickly in the oh, NICU. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, oh <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and I just wanted to bring up this. Just came to mind. Like I've had parents tell me that they've gotten such invalidating comments from people who have absolutely no idea about the NICU world. Like moms right. who have been told how they should enjoy these weeks of where their baby is in the hospital, getting taken care of by someone else, so that they can sleep while they're basically like oh, pumping and running back and forth to the NICU, and like that's their you're whole like life. I can't with that. Like the toxic positivity. Please do not throw that at parents. Even, <laughs> like, even the a... ignorance. Even it's like yes. ignorance, like where people are just people are just so stupid. Like, n- n- don't be jealous. Yeah. Don't yeah, be yeah, jealous yeah. that my baby's yeah. in the NICU and that I can get to sleep for a few weeks, yeah, like which is not necessarily true. But right. but like um and and just also I think that there's some awkwardness around if someone has a very sick baby when people congratulate them. It, it, I, do, have you found that where like they just don't get the same res, like reception, the response? 
Yeah, it's 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 sensitive, right? Because what you say to one person may not resonate with another person, right? It's like there's no rule book. I think for families who are going through that, to be quite honest, I feel like the best way to support someone isn't to say something like, how's baby doing? It's what can I do for you? Like, can I take your car to get um, service? Can I ga- can I gas up your car? Can I take your kids for a day? Can I do your laundry? Can I deliver food? Because typically parents in, in the NICU, especially for parents that are there for a long time with complex situations, they don't need a saga from other people. They don't need pity. They don't need all this, maybe a little bit in the beginning, but honestly, they need help. And in ways that they didn't even know they needed, hey, can I get your house cleaned? Like, can I come over? Can I clean your house? Like, that is so much more tangible and helpful to someone who's going through something. And and they may not even say thank you. They may not even be in the mindset to be there. But honestly, I think just being able to step in and take over for them to some degree is always really helpful. A meal train is great. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you can do to support a parent being in the hospital with their child, you know, that's, that's really what it comes down to and you know in terms of questions um you know on the daily you just you can tell them like you just you know you let me know what you are happy to share with me you yeah. know it's yeah hey you know how was your day today mm-hmm. um or I'm you just, know you can I'm take it day by day and, i'm and thinking of you praying for you yeah. and you know like no need to reply but people who yeah will who, if, if they connect to you if you connect to someone in that way and you say no need to reply or whatever they'll still if they feel safe with you and connected they'll still tell you that like they'll they'll give you the information themselves if they if if they feel safe with you and you know they feel like you're you're truly concerned like just yeah. give them the the um the control and let them initiate if they want to. Um, I and I just I, I know we're coming to a close. I wanted to tell you like a recent story. My coworker, her daughter in law or daughter, just had um, twins, and one of her twins did mm-hmm. they yeah I don't know it was like thirty two weeks thirty four weeks whatever it is. One of the twins went home and she's doing great. And her brother on the other hand, and we know that white male boys are the biggest troublemakers. <laughs> It's a true okay, thing. can I just say it? Statistics. Can I say it? Yeah. It's what we call it wimpy white boy. <laughs> it's a thing. It is a thing. Don't come for me. Yeah. It's always the wimpy white boys that end up in the staying in the NICU. Okay, yeah, continue. No, that's the joke. Like when that's there's some kind them. of complication and we ask like yeah. what what the you know, what the races of the baby and the the gender and they're like mm-hmm. it's a white boy, we're like, Oh, it's always shoot. A white boy. like it's gotta be a boy also. So, <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, so her her uh her little brother is still in the NICU and it's been weeks later and the mm. poor mom, she's got one baby at home that she's taking care of, a newborn, and then another baby yeah, it's hard. at the same time that she's got to run it's to so in the NICU. Hard. So yeah, it's it's hard. And we get a lot of situations like that too. Yeah, it's, it's hard, you know, when you've got a, another little one at home and, you know, you're balancing so much. So don't be too hard on yourself. You know, that's definitely, and it's not your fault. I love yeah. telling moms that too. Please, 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 please know that. Yeah. All right. So, Tori, thank you so much for joining us. Anything else that you felt like uh, important to know for anyone? Um, no, I just think, yeah, you know, I, it's such a special little piece of the world and, um, how can people reach you? How can people find you? You're in a million different places. Can you list all of them? And I'm going to put that in the show notes. And we didn't really talk about the support that you give to nurses, too. So I just wanted to uh, mention that just because any... Well, today's about the moms. Today's about the moms. Like, we could do the nurses later. No, no, it is. <laughs> but I do have a lot of nurses that listen and um, aspiring yeah, nurses. Yeah, yeah. So it's good for them to know yeah. that, too. 
Absolutely. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. That's at Nurse Tori. It's T-O-R-I underscore. Um, my podcast, uh, me and Sam, my co-host, it's called Selfie Podcast. It's C the Selfie Podcast. It's C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. That's on Instagram. Um, I have a website for anyone who is interested in becoming a NICU nurse. That's tipsfromtory.com. And I have a ton of resources over there for you. I have downloadables. We have uh, report sheets. I have exclusive blog material into the insights of being a NICU nurse. I also do have, for any parents out there, if you're looking for it, I have a couple blogs specifically for NICU parents in terms of how to bond well in the NICU, um, some great products for you if you're looking for some things, um, products that I've both used at the bedside, as well as things that I've had recommended by parents who've been in the NICU. Um, we have an Amazon list as well that's linked in those blogs. So um, yeah, between the blog, the podcast, and Instagram, that's where you can find me. I'm also on TikTok, but it's a little more silly. We're in our 30s, okay? So, so uh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm the millennial on TikTok. Thank you. But it's more, it is kind of NICU focused. I've actually had some fun little ones. Um, so, if you are on TikTok, it's at Nurse Tori as well. Yeah, okay. And um, yeah, your stuff is great. I just need to know this, okay? I need to Thank get you. this off my chest. How did you come up with oh. this? Like, what is behind the name The Selfie Podcast? Oh my God, I love that you asked me this. I- I've, I've had a burning desire to know. Yeah. Well, not everybody gets it. You know, it's it's the medical people that usually get it. Okay. So um, back in the day when I started, it was, it was 2019 is when I came up with the concept. And initially when I started it, I did it solo. And um, I did my show solo for eight months, just for anyone who's getting the backstory here. And then my co-host came on and we've been together a year since producing the show together and now we you guys are such a great duo I just love it we have a dynamic (laughs) she's it's craziness so um I wanted a name that had medical I wanted because the whole umbrella of our show is really medical based but it's fun it's it's very lighthearted. it's just this crazy melting pot you never know what you're gonna get it could be a provider all the way to we're talking sex and taboo topics and you know all the above So the long story short is I wanted something that had sort of a medical pun. And I was looking, I was looking, I was looking, nothing stuck. And then all of a sudden one day I saw this cup on Etsy and it just said selfie and it had a little cell doing like this little selfie. And I was like, oh my God, that is it. So our whole thing, and then we have a little mascot. Her name is Selena. She's our little, our selfie mascot. So she's our cell doing a selfie. So it's the selfie show. And because Sam and I are always doing selfies and we're here for a lot of, you know, it's the medical, medical twist on selfies. So yeah. yeah, Kind of combining the social, the social stuff with the, yeah, yeah. I wanted to be fun. You know, and I wanted something iconic. I did not want the, the, the name nurse in it specifically Mm -hmm. because I don't want it to be such a nurse show. I want it to be all encompassing. I want to bring on parents, I want providers. We want to talk anything from, you know, sex and, you know, taboo topics all the way to, you know, someone's life journey. So I wanted something very general. And I also want to have PAs, MDs. I want to have surgeons. I want to have specialists, lactations. You you, you know, I want the whole gamut. I want the parents. I want the stories, um, entrepreneurs, brands. So it's, it's open for 
you know, a big brand name. And that's what I want. I wanted something that was uh, a little bit bigger than myself, ourselves. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, it really serves a lot of different niches. It's great. Thank I highly you. recommend it. It's so fun. I love it. Thank you. Guys you. Are, you <laughs> Thank guys are you. cray-cray. Sam, more than uh, you. We are. Cray-cray. That we are. Uh, <laughs> We're batshit. <laughs> all right. Thank you again, Tori. This was such Thank an honor. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning into the Happy Birthway Podcast. Head over to Yolwedded Academy on Instagram to continue the conversation. You'll find the link in the episode show notes, as well as links to any additional resources, products, and services mentioned here. If you love listening to this show, you can help it grow by sharing it with your friends and rating and reviewing it. To stay in the loop when new episodes are released, make sure to subscribe. Remember that your health needs are unique and require individualized medical advice. The podcast is not a replacement and some of the information may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances. My mission is to educate you so that you can confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are simply not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience. 